because there really needs to be a connection. You are working with your financial professional about some of the most intimate topics of your life, your cash reserve, your income, the ability to send your kids to college, the ability to live independently on your own, your long-term care. Are you going to be dependent on your kids? Are you going to be in a state-run facility? How long will your money last? So you need to be able to trust and work well with this person, with their team. And I always say just meet in person. And if you feel pressure, if you feel um, uh, talked down to, be careful. Hello, and welcome to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. On today's podcast, we have Donna Kendrick. Donna is the author of A Guide to Widowhood, Navigating the First Three Years. And I've been able to read some of her uh, book, and I'm excited to have her on. So welcome, Donna. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. I can't wait to have a conversation. Yes. And there are so many other things that you are as well. Of course, I just mentioned the part that you're an author because that's the main reason that you were reached, you know, your contacts reached out to have you on the podcast was to talk about your book and your story. But there are a lot of other things you are. You have, you have your own podcast as well. I do. I have my own podcast. It is called Widow, Wisdom, and Wealth, um, and that comes out about two times a month. Um, I'm also a financial planner, and I'm also a mommy and a mommy to a blended family. So under our family umbrella, we have six kids, and it's just lovely. It's lovely. It's a good life. <laughs> it's busy, and of course, it's it's been quite the journey of where it started. You met your first husband, your late husband, Greg, what year did you meet? When did you Ooh, guess? Oh, I was 22. So 1995. Is that where that puts it? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, 1995. 1995. Wow, I'm dating you myself. Guys, <laughs> you guys were kids and you're both uh, children of people that are serving. Right? Your father was a firefighter or yes. is a firefighter? Okay. Yeah, my dad was a firefighter in Philadelphia, and my late husband's dad was a cop, a Philadelphia police officer, and we always uh, make the joke that it was pretty good to keep it in the credit union, so meaning that <laughs> we had police and fire Philadelphia credit union. Um, we kind of <laughs> met on a blind date, not that I couldn't get a date, but we met on a blind date, and then we were just off and running um, and got married in the year 2000. Again, we always joke that way. My guy could always do the math of making sure that he knew when our anniversary was because it was quick and easy, 2011, 11 years. Mm -hmm. So for you, it was, you're the financial, so you're the numbers person. And so doing the math was not his. So he was into federal uh, enforcement. Is that correct? He was a federal enforcement yeah. officer? He was. So he worked for Homeland Security. 
Um, and we had the privilege of pretty much living, it felt like a U.S. military life. So we moved um, schools and places almost every two years um, and were lucky enough to live abroad. We lived in Rome for a good five-year stint, kind of went back and forth a few times, had two kids, came back to America, had the third, went back to Rome. So that's kind of how it worked and then came back stateside in 2011. Um, so it was a wonderful opportunity to show our kids um the world, right? We didn't have that as as children of Philadelphia police and uh, firefighters. There, there wasn't the ability to do that or the savings. So that was a once in a lifetime we felt opportunity to show them um, Europe and how other cultures live. How was it for you guys navigating that change too? Because I, I, I feel that grief also comes in those transitions in life, like big transitions, like moves, you're moving to a different culture, different language. How was it for you guys navigating even that change and also helping your kids as you're living in, you know, different countries and especially with language, it's a big cultural change there. No, hundred percent. I'm so glad you bring that up. And even in my financial planning practice, I say I help families in transition. So widowhood, divorce, career change and blended families. Because myself, when Greg and I made the decision to um, follow his career and move abroad, we were both young urban professionals, we call it. So we were both educated. We both had good careers. And one of us was going to give up their career. And the other person was going to go follow their dreams. And we decided to follow his. And I gave up my career. And so that was a little bit of a barrier. So we moved to a new country. It's a new language. It's a new lifestyle. The way you live in Rome is a little bit different than suburban Philadelphia. Um, and I gave up some of my identity, right? I wasn't working 40 hours a week. I didn't feel stimulated in my brain for a lot of it. I was a full-time mommy, which was a big part of what I always wanted to be. But that's um, also a change in identity as well when we become moms. That's a huge one too. Um, Big one, right? And navigating like how to get them to play with others with a different language, right? At the playground. Um, so I, uh, it's life lessons I appreciate now. Don't know if I appreciate them so much in the beginning, but I definitely have an appreciation for them now. And I think my kids do too. Um, they are empathetic. They are not scared of change. Um, I think they are going to be world travelers, but I'm like very... Um, happy to be home. So I don't know if I'll be visiting them abroad, but we'll see. We'll see. You're, you you've, you rather just now stay put after having kind of lived those first years of married life abroad? Is that yeah. more of your personality now? Definitely. Definitely. Does it, does it also feel safer to kind of stay put based on also what you've lived? Is it more of that aspect of kind of feeling like at home what is there an yeah. emotional component to it too I think that definitely without a doubt like you say like uh so we moved abroad we kind of gave up our connection with a close family um my late husband Greg and I were so lucky because we had family that all lived within 10 minutes of one another right and our social life was very much our family and our friends for 20 years um so then to go to abroad and have to kind of recreate your social life, as well as that feeling of family with pretty much strangers moving mm -hmm. forward. Um, were we able to do it? Yes, we were. And are they friends that I have for life? Yep, definitely are. And thank goodness for Facebook. That's how we keep in touch. That's how we share pictures with one another. Um, but I will say it was, I think when I came back to America, I was just so happy. And then when we had the loss of Greg, and I, I know we'll be sharing that story, the community and the support that we had, I was just always so grateful. And I think I'm just so scared to be without them. 
I'll be honest. I, that's that's what actually came to mind when you were saying that is had it had you guys not been where you were, you would have not had all these people that came to your aid and support in the moment that Greg died. And so it, if you had been in Rome in that moment, it would have been a very different scenario than it was. I'm not saying it would have been, or, I mean, sure, people, that happens to a lot of people, right? That they don't have a circle of family or friends close by when their loved one dies. Yeah, and that's part of the story. So we moved back stateside 2011, um, and then Greg got positioned back towards the Philadelphia office. So we actually moved back very close to our own hometown. Um, moved, I moved into, with Greg and the kids, the school district and um, the township that my sister had lived in for 13 years. I was like, hey, like when we moved back stateside, I'm like, do you like your school? Do you like your friends? I'm going to come move into your neighborhood and take them both. How about that? <laughs> so it was fun though. But we had actually moved into our home right outside of Philadelphia only about two or three months before Greg passed. So when he actually passed, my kids were new to the school. He, We moved at the end of summer. He passed in November. So not only were my kids getting used to a new school system, um, we had close support of family and friends around us again, where we hadn't had it for probably about nine years. So that felt wonderful. But the community itself, the neighborhood I lived in, the support that poured out to the kids and I was unbelievable. Once again, virtual strangers who took us in as just part of their community, rallied around us, did kind things from, you know, taking my kids to baseball practice, to helping me rake the leaves, to taking the trash out, to leaving meals for us. Um, the kindness of their hearts is what carried us for that first year. And my practice now is within that district. I'm raising my kids in the district. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't leave. I think it's wonderful, the community that we've grown into. Yeah. It's home. Yeah, it's home. It's that family that you've created. So let's go into the circumstances of Greg's death, since it is important to the story, and you mention it in your in your book. Um, yeah, if you don't mind just going into a little bit, just touching on them, you don't have to go into the oh. details. No, so, yeah, um, so... Over time, uh, my Greg had actually struggled with some mental illness, up and down, some depression, back when we were younger, even before we got married. And he went to counseling, and it was just kind of like stress, anxiety, kind of that's how it was diagnosed and treated outpatient. And we really didn't see many some signs of it, again, for the whole time we lived in Rome. And then we came back stateside, and he had a very challenging job, and the hours were very challenging, and we saw the depression creep back in. And so we actually moved closer to home, closer to Philadelphia for that very reason. He took a downgrade at his job so it wouldn't be as much stress. And he was home for dinner every night. And it was wonderful. Um, and I thought, okay, we did what we had to do. We pulled back the finances, right? We lived very lean. We got a smaller house. He pulled back on his hours at work. Um, and we were on the right path. And then he did ultimately take his life. I think it was just creeping back in and he was scared of it. And it took a little bit of time. It took a little bit of time to let go of the plans 
in the future. And the relationship. Thank you, Donna. I know it. it is, um, it's always hard at times to, you never know when it's going to creep up and the emotions and when sharing something, isn't it interesting how you might have said exactly the same story at another moment in time and maybe tears might have not come out and in other moments it is. And I, I really uh, commend you and I'm grateful for you, for your vulnerability and for sharing because this also just gives the listeners that perspective of there's really not time in grief. You're happily married with a blended family now. And yet those emotions are still there and that's okay. They can live in that same space, right? I remember listening to your very first podcast and you were like, you bump into it, right? Like it creeps up on you sometimes and we're nine years out. And like you shared, wonderful, wonderful life, right? And so lucky for it. And I'm allowed to walk with the grief and respect it exactly where we are. And so if we actually go back to right after we lost Greg, I think I moved straight into the um, don't deal with grief on my own, get my kids through this. I was very much a believer in the um, model that it's okay, model that I'm okay, so that they will be okay, which we could actually, now that we look back on it, <laughs> translate it as stuff it deep down and don't deal with it. Mm. So I know I write a book about navigating widowhood and being respectful of the grief. And it's really from the lessons I learned looking back nine years later. I don't think I actually started digesting that grief until year two. I did all the actions. I was a problem solver and I tried to get organized and I wanted everyone around me to see that I was quote unquote okay and that I was strong because I didn't want them to worry. I knew that Greg's family, after having us abroad for so long, had just gotten us back and then he got ripped away. So like, oh, like I'm going to be strong so that they can have time with their grief. Mm. We all all make different decisions. Another right, we're not wrong, right? We just move forward. How you're putting that is such a perspective that a lot of mothers actually have. We we tend to sometimes put ourselves and our own emotions and our own needs in the back burner in order to be able to focus on the emotions and the needs of our children, of our spouse, of the other family. And you did that within your grief journey as well. You were thinking of the grief of your in-laws, the grief of your kids, and respecting that and not um, really being able to feel your own and being the strong one for everybody else. Yeah, and it's true. So right after Greg passed, we reached out to a local organization called Safe Harbor, and it's like a nonprofit run through a local church here, I'm sorry, a local hospital here in Philadelphia, Um, and it provides caregiving for kids that have lost a parent or a caregiver. And so the kids over the school year, twice a month, every other week, will go to age-specific and loss-specific groups and learn things like um, how to tell another schoolmate that your dad died, how to avoid the question of how he died if you're not comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. It's only been in the last year that I've even publicly gone out to say, Greg took his life. Mm -hmm. I used to just say he passed away suddenly. Right? One, because it's an uncomfortable it's true, topic. But it's still true. But it it's still true, true what you said. You just didn't go into further. And the kids didn't know 
they were ages what when Greg oh, my died? kids were eight 11 and 12 and 12 so they do know that he took his life yes, yes. They, 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 know they knew they knew at that age as well as yes, the they age. Did. yes okay okay yes, so they did know that okay. um but with that group that safe harbor group it was mm-hmm. wonderful because the kids just grew in their own strength and over two years it's called rocking out now while the kids are in the classroom the parents meet together as a group and they meet together to learn about what the kids are learning and how to implement it at home for the next two weeks so they were actually teaching us how to be parents in our grief alongside of our kids like it was an amazing program and i remember when the kids quote unquote rocked out when they're like hey we're good we've got this right resilient little buggers i call them (laughs) um i remember being like but what about me like, wait a second. Like, I just started exploring that grief two to three years later. Um, so, yes, you go into some independent counseling. You talk it through. You find a widow's group. You find your support. I remember joining um, in the U.S. It was called, like, um, the Meetup, right? It was called Modern mm-hmm. Widow- Widows Club. And I still follow them on social media now. What a wonderful group. What a wonderful group of ladies to just give you space and time and uh, respect for the process. So always thankful for those resources that are out there. And I always encourage families in transition to share their resources with one another, because that's really how we get stronger. Absolutely. It's that aspect of community too, right? To know that you're in a group of other people that really can relate to what you're going through because they've walked similar similar paths. I always, I, nobody can actually know what you experience, experience, right? But it's like, can relate to that. And um, yeah, so it's so valuable. And just what you've done with the book now also creating this other resource then for others to have is invaluable as well. So uh, thank you for doing that. As I was going to, even though you wrote it, thinking of widowhood, it is really a uh, book that anybody should have, even if you're not married, if you're a child of parents that are still living so that you're prepared. I was telling you before we started recording that if we would have had this, even as kids, when my mom died to be able to then help my dad with all the different steps that had to take place, it is an amazing resource, an amazing resource. So let's go into that journey of when did you start feeling like, wait, let all these things I've done are actually something I can now use to give back and that you started to compile this information? Yeah, definitely. So I was only working part-time when Greg passed because we had just moved to the area and I was working part-time in the kids' school. And so after he passed, I stayed in that position for a few years. And that way I was able to mimic the kids' schedule, be available for them um, and make sure they were okay on their journey moving forward. Um, But I knew, I knew we had lost Greg's income, right? And I knew we had lost his long-term goals of retirement savings, right? Take the emotion out. Like these are the numbers and these are the realities. And I only had a small window that I would be able to stay working part-time. Um, And so after year two, I knew I had to make a career change. And I really did some soul searching of being like, okay, what do I really want for myself now? Like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it well. Um, And I've shared before that whole thing of like, when you have lemons, make some lemonade. I was like, well, that's it. And I went back and thought to myself over the last two years, what was most impactful for me? And that was truly the guidance and the support of my financial advisor. I found a financial advisor um, right after Greg passed. We had had one previously, but I was able to push my tote bag of things and 
policies over to my financial advisor and be like, do something with it. I'm going to go raise my kids. Um, but he helped me with everything from decisions to stay in my house or to move to a new one. It was emotional for our kids because Greg had taken his life in the, in the house. So two years later, with that strength of safe harbor, they were like, we want to move. How fast you put a sale sign up when a mom hears that? We're like, okay, we're out. But thank goodness I had the guidance of that financial advisor. And so I actually went to him and said, I want to do for families in transitions, for people in widowhood, what you did for me. How do I do it? And we sat over a coffee and he pointed my educational plan out to me. He showed me what state and federal test I needed. And he's like, it's going to be a long path. Like it's going to be a long journey. And I was in. So we backed into my finances. I knew how long I could support myself and my kids while going to school um, and then mentored under him, wound up becoming a CFP, a certified financial planner, um, and was able to ultimately open my own practice, really having a niche of helping families in transition, financial guidance for widows, divorcees, people that have changed careers, right? blended families, which I'm proud to say I'm, I'm now in the middle of. But then COVID hit. And I was like, oh, well, how do I reach people? It was the biggest blessing ever because we used to, as financial advisors, only be able to help people in the states where we were licensed. And here comes Zoom. And we can reach so many other people. And we can get licensed pretty quickly in other states. So now here comes your wider net. And then I was like, well, this is amazing. Now, how do I get the message out there that we need very special financial advice, love, and hugs as widows and families in transition? Like, let's bring love into financial planning. How do we do that? And that's where the idea for the book came. That's where the idea for the podcast came. Because I can touch more people. And I can spread the message that... Yeah, Find a financial advisor that fits for you. Don't be scared to ask questions. Have them walking alongside of you. Hold their hand. That's the podcast and the book came because I did. I We should have named the book like, don't wait for widowhood. Like read it now, right? Be prepared now. Um, and that came out in June and I am just over the moon happy because I feel like the resources there. Everyone doesn't have to wait for Uncle Bobby at Thanksgiving table to give them great financial advice. Like they know the good steps. There's checklists. There's interview questions, find the person that works for you because these decisions will make you feel strong, independent. They will help you guide yourself and guide your family. Let's go back to year one. All I wanted to do was show my kids that I was okay, that I was strong, that they could be there too. They really didn't learn that until probably about five years ago when they saw me stand up on my feet recreate my career and now start spreading this message, going out and speaking to groups of ladies being like, you can do it. Let's just break this down. Let's talk about your budget. Get control of it. One thing, one action that makes you feel better today. It's what a blessing. And it's, that is a book that is a podcast that is available. It's free. <laughs> it's the podcast is just listen in. It's awesome. No, it is so helpful. And, you know, as you were talking, I was writing here, like, what is the way of finding a trustworthy advisor? Because I think that finding a trustworthy financial advisor, someone that, that you can relate, would be not much different than that search of finding the right therapist. So, <laughs> right. And so yeah. how, what, I know you then have the guidance, but for someone that is in that process, because it can be it could be scary to be able to be completely 
open to someone you don't know about the reality of your of your situation. And I know you mentioned in the book how you did have your sister was there with you when you were meeting with your was it right your sister oh, my was sister your person yeah your my sister, sister law was okay. my person you're yep. your person so that that way anything that maybe you're you couldn't retain because of all the grief yeah. brain uh you know that she could kind of be able to do so talk about that of having people on your corner that you trust in this process yeah 100% i think one of the most important things for all widows, widowers, even the post-divorcees, because you are making some big decisions in grief, you are, um, is to have a trusted soul, one or two, and to have them be there, right, to witness some of these meetings, to take notes. Um, as one of my roles working with my widows and widowers is I go to these meetings with them uh, for their estate planner, for their um, will, healthcare directive, with their accountant to be another listening year, simply to take notes, not to get involved. Um, because sometimes you don't always want to turn to a friend or a family member because of privacy, right? That's a big part of it. Um, but I always say have someone and have them do a lot of the legwork for you. Like I can call some financial advisor's office and talk to their administrative assistant and get some of the major questions answered. Are you a CFP? Uh, do you do financial planning? Is there an asset minimum to be part of your practice? That is a checklist buster, right? And you're not doing it as a widower or widower or someone in grief. You have someone else doing it for you lean on the people you trust and then sit down at the dining room table, sit down at a barbecue and go through that list. How far away are, is the advisor? Or is it a team approach? Is it one-on-one? -on -one? Is it a huge corporate thing? Um, is there an asset minimum? And, and you will start to, why well, I say like drill, drill down. Weed out, weed out, weed out. There the you ones go. That's that the word. Thank you. <laughs> weed out and, the ones that don't work that, oh, okay. Well, there's a financial minimum. That's out. It, oh, it's it. 20 miles away. I don't have time to go there and back and forth between picking up the kids out. Right. <laughs> Unless exactly. it's Zoom. <laughs> Unless and it's you know online. What? When I lost Greg, it really didn't exist. Right. So I remember asking my financial player, like, are you OK talking to me um, on the phone while I'm at a baseball practice? Will that be distracting to you? He's like, well, not me. How about you? I was like, oh, yeah, it will be. Let's not do that. But it was fun. Um, but you know what? And then meet them in person because there really needs to be a connection. You are working with your financial professional about some of the most intimate topics of your life, your cash reserve, your income, the ability to send your kids to college, the ability to live independently on your own, your long-term care. Are you going to be dependent on your kids? Are you going to be in a state-run facility? How long will your money last? So you need to be able to trust and work well with this person, with their team. And I always say just meet in person. And if you feel pressure, if you feel... Um, uh, talk down to, be careful, right? It, it might not be that the intention was there. Maybe our, our grief radar was up. Maybe our grief fog brain was up. I used to carry a box of tissues with me and my sister-in-law who'd go with me knew it was going to be one of those days. She's like, oh, is a box of tissues coming in? I'm like, it is. Let's go. <laughs> um, and, and so take your time with the decision. There are some decisions that have to be made immediately, right? You have to contact social security. Sometimes you have to access life insurance that you have funds that are available um, as well as benefits maybe from your spouse's employee, uh, employee or things that you have the action to be able to make ends meet, right? And then there's some decisions that you can put off. You don't need them right now. 
you can wait a little while. They're the transitional decisions that you can make. Stay in the house or move, right? That doesn't have to be your year one or two, but there's also tax consequences. So get the resources that you need, get the professionals in place for the places in life where you feel like you don't want to do it, can't do it, have to do it, but don't want to. Like, it, like that's it. I had a background in finance and I did not want to run my own financial plan. I didn't, I didn't even know if I was capable of having a financial plan, right? Mm. I knew I had to go back to work. Like who's going to take me on, end quote. All right. I remember thinking that in my head. So have those talks. And then there's some decisions that are long-term. Make sure that your financial advisor, they'll probably have the plan for the next 20 years in the back of their head the first time they sit with you. There's going to be nuances to it, but they're professionals. They pretty much will probably have that figured out. Um, but you don't need to know all of that at the time. You're just looking for the need to right now goals. So it's the what's what can I do next? What's next? What's the next step? It's like just my steps. Something you mentioned was the cost of burial. Can we can can you touch on that? Because as you're talking about finances, I'm thinking that is something that in general someone should be able to have handy because you have to pay or kind of be able to access in order to pay those burial costs because even if someone has life insurance that may not hit till a little later you may not be able to use that. Yeah. What what that's an immediate expense in that moment. That's right something yep. that is the now. Would you touch yeah. on that or if, if you want no, to do it by your own story or what? Yeah, what, I'll share what? a little bit of my own story. So Greg and I had just moved to the area. Um, and so we actually had two houses, right? One for sale up in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania while we moved to Philadelphia. And so we had used all of our free cash for the down payment on the second house while we waited for the first one to sell. Um, we knew in the end we'd be whole and flush, but it was trying to balance that move to get the kids into the school district at the right time. And then Greg passed. I had, didn't have more than maybe $400 sitting in my checking and savings account because we had used all our cash reserve. So I actually had to put my life insurance policy up against the cost of his funeral. So then, then that was organized through um, the funeral um, parlor or, or services that they were home, helping yeah. us. The um, yeah, the funeral home. Thank you. They actually, and I, I can't even say I did it because my in-laws actually planned the whole funeral, right? I was just like, yes or no. I didn't have to lift a finger. I don't know if I was capable of it. Um, so that would be my first one. Know who's going to help you plan it. I, I was incapable of making those decisions. And I was lucky that I had a family, extended family that was helping me do it. But we actually used life insurance so that when the life insurance came through, the funeral home got paid first and then we got paid for the difference. So you can often do that. I highly encourage when we go sitting with our widows and widowers, um, because most you're alone then, right? You're a sole parent, you're single, to make sure you make those decisions, to have your state documents put together, prepay for your funeral if you can. Many of times you can either uh, get a life insurance policy that would pay straight out for your funeral costs. Um, you could prepay at the funeral parlor if you know exactly where you want to be buried and pick out even your casket at the time. And so it's all set. Your wishes are known. Um, those are the types of situations we, we bump into. I've heard many widows that say, well, I put it on a credit card and figured I would just figure it out, right? Sometimes you have family members who are willing to help. Those are all those decisions that are being made while you're in grief. 
that are really hard. So if you can make those decisions ahead of time, and to our couples that are listening out there in the car together to this amazing podcast, please have the conversation. Make sure you both know what one another want, because often there's desires of extended family, and your desire as a couple and your desire as a person is different. So if you have it written down and it's expressly written and shared, then there we go. Um, For many of my widows, probably about four years ago, we did, um, it was in my living room, I think, with a fireplace and hot chocolate. We did plan your own fun funeral. And we took like those those parts of our personality that we're putting in the funeral and we wrote it all out. We hired somebody to come in and run it. She showed up with um, cookies that were in the shape of coffins, like you had to make a joke about it. Um, and it, that purple folder is in my estate documents. I can guarantee if I pass, my kids will run to my will and pull out the purple folder because they want to see what I was going to do with my funeral. Oh, now I'm curious about... Donna's, yeah. <laughs> Donna Kendrick's fun funeral. It has a kibasi <laughs> truck. That's all I can say. There's What's a kibasi? What's a kibasi? Oh, Polish families. They eat pierogi and kibasi. Oh, kibasi. And here in Philadelphia, food trucks are big. And I actually saw a kibasi truck go past me on, on the boulevard, we call it, one of the main strips through Philadelphia. And I was like, oh, that's happening. <laughs> so. Yeah. Just have them have the kibasi truck pull you, uh, you know, pull the trailer or, or be in the parade as they're going to the yeah the procession. the procession yeah yeah the procession but those day. those are the are the things you have to talk about. We actually had the honor guard at Greg's funeral, um, and I don't know how we got them there. To this day, I didn't even know it was a benefit of his, but yeah, and we had the honor guard. What an amazing opportunity for my kids for the respect of what their dad did. Amazing. Um, But I do, I highly encourage everyone to, to pre-plan their funeral, to prepay their funeral or communicate to those you love how you're going to pay for it. Um, Is there a small account put on the side, right? And make sure that that person you want to help with the decisions, the executor, or maybe your best friend, if it's one small bank account with $10,000 $10,000 in it. That's not small, but one account with $10,000 in it. Make sure they're a joint owner on it so you have access to it. So, so that, yeah, because it does, it, you do jump through a lot of hoops with all these kind of things of being able to access bank accounts and those kind of things if your name is not on it um, when someone dies. That's something, that, something that's hard. So that's a good idea of actually having that for somebody have access to it. Yeah. Make sure it's someone you trust because then of they have course. access if to not, it. Then they <laughs> so can, yeah. Then you're yeah. like, wow, that's a nice car you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Okay. Did you and Greg ever have the conversation about your own mortalities, you know, uh, while you guys were married? Now, we were lucky because with the line of work that he was in and law enforcement, it was very early on that we got our will, our healthcare directive, and our power of attorney pulled together. Um, he traveled for a big portion of our dating as well as our, our early marriage. Um, up until we got to Rome, he traveled very, very often internationally. And so the discussion was there, right? The what if. We made sure that we had a financial planner or advisor early for life insurance um, because we knew with him traveling, the risk goes up. And so very early on in our relationship, we had life insurance in place to pretty much cover education for the kids, maybe the mortgage at the time, and a few years of lost income for one another. And that's how we actually, back in our 20s, decided how much we have in a policy 
fast forward to 2013 where Greg passed, it was that life insurance policy back at our very first home before we even started traveling abroad that protected the kids and I. That is why my kids are in college right now. That is why I was able to keep my house. Those That was a relief to me in widowhood. So I could go and figure out the health insurance and the ability to recreate my career and are we going to stay in this neighborhood and deal with the grief? I was a lucky one. I was so lucky because Greg and I had those conversations early. And it really was based on the fact that the type of career he had made you know that it was one that could risk his life per se, right? And his travels and stuff. So it made you have, but this is something we all should have that type of conversation. It's, It's something that is, as you were talking about the finances and talking about finances, I feel like talking about death, talking about grief, talking about finances could all be put in the same category as taboos. A hundred percent. Like, don't bring it up at the Thanksgiving table. Oh, please do not. Yeah, you're there. And it is such, you know what, because having that talk about, well, if I pass, like, what would you do, right? It's so much talking about um, your own mortality, which is uncomfortable for many of us, but it really is an expression of your value system, right? Like, I never heard Greg say, if I die, don't you ever, don't you ever get married again? Like stay a spinster. I'm the one and only. He never said that, right? Like I knew he wanted me to have love. I knew he wanted my kids to have a father figure. He was a great dad. Why would he be limited to that? And that being said, my extended family through Greg's brothers and sisters, he was the youngest of five. Um, we are still really engaged in one another's lives. Um, they welcomed my new husband. They were at our wedding. It's just a wonderful um, experience. And I think if Greg and I wouldn't have had those conversations early, maybe I would have shied away from it more. Maybe I would have. Um, so it's it's important. But yeah, people avoid it. Nobody wants to talk about that. So I, I do always say to, in my, in my financial uh, professional practice, there's three things we're going to talk about. This is like on a 10-minute phone call right? I talk about the people that'll make the phone call to the financial planner so that the widower widower doesn't have to. It's like, there's gonna be three things we're talking about. They're not comfortable with it. I'm not the financial planner for you. Mm. Yeah. The first one is the importance of planning. The second one is life insurance and the why. And the third one is your state documents. Now I'm not an attorney. I can't produce the state documents, but it is so important to me that that will, the healthcare directive and the power of attorney be in their pocket, their back pocket. Because if they have young kids, that's guardianship for them. If they're a young couple, that's that value conversation. They will make better decisions in life, in my opinion, if they have those documents done and tucked away in a fire safe box or bag. Does everyone hear that? Everybody should have a fire safe box or bag in their house. Put in your your will, your healthcare directive, put in your social security cards, your birth certificates, your passports, anything that you think would be difficult to replace should there be a fire or flood. In your bag, carry it with you. Hide it well. Yeah. Oh, you know, I am adding that because I do not have a fire safe oh. box. So I'm adding that. Yes, thank Put you. Put it on your holiday I, list. <laughs> I have it right now here on my in my notes. Now, let's fast forward and talk about your present life and Jim and how that was for you, this transition of loving again and now having a blended yeah. family. Yeah, it's um, 
as you can tell, I'm very happy. So we got married in June. Uh, we got married in Graceland, where like Elvis lived. It was fun. I thought it was just going to be Jim and myself and the kids. We have three boys, three girls. Um, and here came like 32 people on like a Monday morning at 10 a.m. And it was. It was friends from Italy when we lived over there. It was new neighbors. It was Greg's family. It was just what a potpourri, we call it, of people <laughs> and blending truly together. Um, but yeah, Jim... Jim and I have been in one another's lives as friends since probably 2014, right? And apparently I had met him right after Greg passed. I have no memory of it. That's how impactful it was. When you're in grief, you are in grief. So, um, But so we actually had a friendship that moved into love many years later. And that was awesome because my kids were familiar with him already. Um, and they had that level of trust and friendship built. I highly encourage friendship first and then adding love. It's been mm -hmm. incredible. But with that, um, we often, we share a lot of conversations about Greg to the point that my Jim, who's my current husband, will actually stop sometimes and say, you know, I never met him because <laughs> we forget. Like he, and I have an older son who looks, my 21 year old Connor looks just like my husband, walks the same way, even the, sh the shape of his shoulders. If he's walking down the hallway, I think it's Greg. Like it, that's, it, wow. we talk about bumping into things like the cold oh, rush of air. I'm like, oh, geez, no. Right. Cause that was the age I met Greg, like right around <laughs> that age. Um, so I'm like, oh no, you, you have met Greg. It's in Connor. Like it's in each of my kids. Um, so that's awesome. And his children too. Like we, we all, we all like make, make jokes. We're like, oh, that's a Gregism. Like his kids will say like, that's a Gregism. They've never met him. Right. It's from the stories we share. And that's so important to keep that alive. Stories, stories. It's the, it's the key, I think, of really feeling like you know someone and having others share stories about your loved one is so important too because their dynamics were different, right? How Greg was with his siblings was different than how he was as a dad and as a husband. So what is a story that you might remember of someone that they shared about Greg that you did not know and that they might have shared was after he died? Oh, you know, it is the funniest thing because um, the kids would share stories with me like, hey, mom, do you know that? All right. So my daughter um, loved Dunkin' Donuts, loved Dunkin' Donuts. We didn't have it in Italy. We had all this wonderful coffee. She was little. But we come back states. I love Dunkin' Donuts. Um, and she behaved badly one day at the drive through Dunkin' Donuts. And I forbid her to ever eat it again. Like she was done. Like I was a strict mom. I was like, you pushed it too far and you're done. And so after Greg passes, it was years later. And Katie's like, oh my God, have you ever had one of those like Dunkin' Donuts that's like uh, on the pancake or something? I'm like, how do you know? She's like, oh, every time daddy would take me to guitar lessons, we would stop and have one. And then we would throw the trash out at the car wash. So oh, it wouldn't even throw away the like evidence. It. Yeah. Throw away the evidence. <laughs> and as a federal, like as working as someone, he knew how to get rid of the evidence. There you go. Oh, yeah. And yeah, there's stories. There's stories about Greg's. He struggled with his weight at time. And like, I'd go on these weight loss um, diets with him. And if we're on the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, I do not think I have any issue with weight. So I would shed all this weight. I'd be so super skinny because I was on this diet with him and he wouldn't lose a pound. And here we find out like in Italy, he was like going out for every time he told me he walked during lunch. It was to the gelato store, which is like... <laughs> ice cream and water ice. And it wasn't until he passed that we realized like, oh, that's why he lost 
no weight because he was walking to pizza and the gelato store every day. That was his walks and then his drives to the guitar lesson. I'll, I'll take her. I'll take Katie to, to her lesson. And I, right. I thought he was being so helpful. Right. So that he could go through the Dunkin' Donuts oh, drive through. But thank you for asking. That was really nice to share those stories. Yes, thank you. Yes. I'm, I'm glad you shared them. And for anybody listening, just remember to also have others share those stories with you as well. And you learn these things about your loved room, sometimes things that maybe you don't want to hear or know, (laughs) but it's still important because it's also important to remember their humanity and the, you know, we, we sometimes put everyone up on them. Yes. (laughs) We call it. Yes. And it is not, not the case. We are humans with our own faults and it's okay to remember every aspect of who someone was just like we'd like people to remember us for every aspect of who we are not just the the good things oh i'm (laughs) sure my kids have a list of stories they'll be sharing that's okay that's that's still wonderful well i am just so grateful donna that you've shared all these different stories not only about your life but also all these tips that people can actually hold on to and use is there anything i did not ask you that you're like this is something i want to make sure i share with the listeners i I really want to impart to the listeners out there that if you are in a transition, a loss of a loved one in any way, to give yourself grace, just to give yourself some forgiveness for being stuck in grief as long as you want to be or running away from it. It's okay. Just be and breathe and take the 24 hours. Beautiful. Thank you. And again, now let's talk about how people can contact you, get the book, and I keep on picking up the book that says to me that's not yours because I have them. No. The easiest way the book is available on Amazon. Um, it is, I think, December when we're recording this of 2022, and the Audible book version of it will be out in about two weeks. So I hope really... you're the voice. I hope you're the voice because I... you have an amazing voice. You are. I am. I took a vote. I took a poll. I was like, "Do you guys want to hear this narrated, or do you want to hear me?" Um, and it was it was a hard one to record. I had to take a few breaks there. You forget you wrote some of those pages. Mm-hmm. I felt like I wrote the pages and then didn't think about it anymore. Um, but I, I hope it came out beautifully. I hope it's a way that the message gets out there to a bigger audience. I'm an audible book listener uh, myself. Ditto. <laughs> yeah, just so many kids. You can't sit still like that. <laughs> but, but for the audible uh, version, though, is there a link that people could still go to to then see the list because to then be able, if they, if they buy the audible version, could they yep. then have an access? to a link to then print any of the things that you mentioned in yeah, the book? Yeah, the PDFs will still be available to them Perfect. to be able to do- download off the Audible version. Um, and you can always reach out at hello uh, at widow-wisdom.com. And honestly, the best way to follow me is on Instagram. So it's hashtag widow and wisdom. Um, I have a lot of fun with those posts. And sometimes it's just those little icon, little nuggets, right? To help you get through the day, not even if you're in widowhood or not, just to help be a good person and support the people next to you. So Beautiful. Thank you. And again, the book is called A Guide to Widowhood, Navigating the First Three Years. And it is something that you even say at the beginning, you can kind of give some guidance as to how to read it. You can kind of go Skip wherever around you are. You have Skip to. around. <laughs> if you've already passed the first couple of years, you still may want to go into those chapters and make sure to review the checklist and make sure you did everything in the first and the second year of, 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 of that loss. And then, you know, you can move on to the 
after what happens after the the three years. So yeah. thank you once again, Donna, for having us, for sharing a, sharing Greg with us as well and his story and sending love and energy to him as well and, and your children and his family in this uh, journey that you've been on and continue to be on. So yep. much love to you. Thank you, Donna. Thank you for the opportunity to share a bit. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, If you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.